Welcome back to another episode of Bridge Radio, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, whoever is listening. I am your host as always, Julio Omad Rodriguez, and we are continuing our series through the doctrines of grace. If you are a new listener... Please go back and check our previous podcast on this series. Uh, We have had the honor and privilege of having Dr. John Frame, Jeff Durbin, John Sampson, Dr. James White uh, discuss uh, the doctrines of grace, and we're hitting out each point in a six-part series. So please like, subscribe, share. If you are a new listener... You could subscribe to uh, the multiple platforms we are now on, including iTunes, Android, Windows, Google Play, soon to be up on Spotify as well. Or you could visit our website at www.bridgebinlaredo.org. Go to our website, look on the tab menu, and if you look to the far right, you're going to see a tab that says subscribe to Bridge Radio. And uh, there are platforms that you could subscribe on, and you could just listen and stream in through the website. Uh, But again, thank you so much for tuning into our program uh it's a it's a pleasure to have you uh, we have a very special guest first time on the program and mm. today we're going to be unpacking and tackling irresistible grace in our series um but before we we dive in let me introduce to you uh our, who's always on the podcast so we have uh to the right of me himself the boss the founder of bridge ministries hey what's up whoa whoa, whoa <laughs> what was, was that, that? steve <laughs> I, I think julio's having a little Little fun with the soundboard. A little fun on the mixer, yeah. Yeah, Well, that scared me. I thought somebody else was on. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, we we have across from me, as always, theologian himself. A.W. Varilla from the Valley. I'm back. I'm back back I, again. I'm back. I, I come back and forth, but I'm always here. Yeah. But not really. You feel like he, he's always here. Yeah, I'm here. He's like Norm from Cheers. Yeah. He's yeah. like Norm from Cheers. Well, that's how it feels like but, here at Bridge. We yeah. have like our continual people who come in yeah. in the morning. Hey, how's it going? Hey, yeah. hey, hey. Except Norm didn't travel two and a half hours to come <laughs> yeah. to, right. to Bridge. But, you know. Uh, so, yeah, that's A.W. Varilla. Not to be confused with uh, A.W. Towser or A.W. Uh, Pink. So Yes. Right. No. No, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> All right, guys, so the doctrines of grace, if you're new to the program, uh, let me just give you a quick definition of what the doctrines of grace are. So they are a set of doctrines that systematically teach the absolute sovereignty of God and salvation through the acrostic tulip. And so uh, we actually began our series on the sovereignty of God because I felt it necessary to have that discussion uh, because the sovereignty of God is something that undergirds the entire teaching of the doctrines of grace and so dr john frame came on the program he discussed that to kick off the whole entire series we had uh, jeff durbin on talk about total depravity uh we talked about the anthropology of man so what is the state of man what does dead in his trespasses actually mean uh do we choose god does god choose us um you know are, are, are we really wicked sinners who hate god you know so what does that all mean uh, we had john Sampson kill it with unconditional election Mm -hmm. he exegeted the entire passage of romans eight and nine Nine, and left no room for our for an arminian to wiggle yeah and it was just excellent uh dr james white also came onto the program and gave us a nice ribeye steak on limited limited atonement and that's kind of a reference to milk and meat and uh there's uh milk theology for for the beginner uh for the new babes in mm. Christ, and then I told you earlier or yesterday it was a porterhouse, but ribeye will do. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure thing. Yeah, we've had, we've actually had people. I mean, even me myself, I had to listen to that podcast like two, three times. But it was it was good, good stuff. But um, anyway, guys, like I said, we have a very special guest on the program, new, uh, and today we're going to be unpacking irresistible grace and what does that mean. But before I introduce, let me give you a quick, uh, quick uh, introduction. So our guest is a native of Wales. And God's irresistible grace drew him at the age of 15. (laughs) After graduating in politics from the University of Wales, he trained for the ministry at the Free Church of Scotland uh, College, now it's Edinburgh Theological Seminary, before undertaking his doctoral studies at the University of Edinburgh. His doctoral dissertation is entitled, An Historical Study of of the doctrines of adoption in the Calvinistic tradition. So he's a Calvinist. He's a Calvinist, yeah. (laughs) He has preached internationally, taught systematic theology at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. He served as a senior minister uh, at Seventh Reformed Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He is also the author of popular and scholarly articles and chapters such as When History Teaches Us Nothing, a recent Reformed Sonship Debate in Context, Preaching and Politics, Engagement Without 
compromise, and much more. It's an honor and privilege to welcome onto the program Dr. Tim Trumper. Thank you for coming on. Oh, my, my privilege, brothers. Um, nice to uh, speak with you, Julio, uh, A.W., and uh, uh, Steve, too. <laughs> Steve, Steve. So, so you and Steve uh, g- go way back, right? A few years, yeah. It's, what, about 10 years or so ago, I guess, since uh, since uh, Seventh Reformed uh, started supporting us as, uh, as as missionaries first and then as a ministry here in, in Laredo. And mm-hmm. uh, so that was about 10 years ago, I think, that we, we really kind of met and got to know each other. Yeah. Yes, and it's been a delight to see um, the work of Bridge Ministries de- developing. Yeah, well, we appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, about two or three years ago you and uh, Brenda came down here and and uh, visited, and so that was a great opportunity to uh, to uh, talk and to share with you a little bit about what we do here. So. Huh. Yeah, it was a joy, joy for us too. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Uh, so I mentioned in the uh, in the introduction of you that you, God's irresistible grace uh, saved you at the age of fifteen. So would you please share your testimony of how you came to faith in Christ as Savior? Oh well, it's it's always a joy to uh, to think back and to uh, treasure the grace of God in my life and to own the fact of uh, my great need of that grace. Um, I was privileged to grow up in the home of a, a godly father and mother. My father was a minister in the Presbyterian Church of Wales. He'd actually be a former atheist and was training as an actor. He was mm. actually um, a friend of Anthony Hopkins in his younger oh, days. Oh, really? Wow. And, uh, and then he, he was, he was uh, soundly converted and never looked back. And uh, he thought initially that he would end up on the mission field, but God led him into the uh, ministry of the word there in, in Wales. Wow. And um, they taught us uh, from as far back as I can remember not to rely on their faith for our own uh, relationship with God. Mm. Um, if I'm to put it in reformed terms, they stressed as much the responsibilities of being a covenant child as as the privileges of being a covenant child. And so mm. Uh, mm. from my earliest days, I was intent to, to um, find out what it meant to be a Christian and not simply a child of the manse, as we'd say, a preacher's yeah. kid. Sure. So by the age of, by the age of eight, um, under the influence of a young man who came to uh, vacation in our area of Wales, I uh, thought, well, maybe maybe I am a Christian and I don't know it because hmm. the Bible says, you know, whosoever believes shall be saved hmm. and there's nothing that I doubt in the scriptures, so perhaps I am a Christian. Hmm. So I mistook uh, an intellectual view of the faith from um, an understanding of true saving faith. Hmm. I, I had the knowledge, I was very well taught in what my father said was the best Sunday school in the county. Hmm. Uh, but didn't have the conviction of sin and didn't have the trust in Christ. And so I tried to live out this profession of faith over the next seven years. Mm. Uh, but uh, it was clear to me, and it became increasingly clear to others, that there was no fruit of the Spirit in my life. And mm. and so by the age of 15, I, I came to the view that uh, God wasn't going to save me unless I came clean and acknowledged that I'd never genuinely been saved. Mm. And uh, so one Sunday lunchtime, I was misbehaving. And my father said, uh, come on, Tim, let's uh, go to the bedroom. Which, uh, <laughs> if you've got anything Uh-oh. of a father, you know that's uh, not good news. Uh-oh. <laughs> but he, he took me to the bedroom, and uh, he was, he was um, a wonderful father. He died in 2015. But mm. uh, mm-hmm. he asked me a question. He said, do you love Christ? He said, I always rejoice that 25% of my children... Uh, knew and loved the Lord. I was the 25%. Mm-hmm. But he says, I have to say that I'm struggling to see the fruit of uh, the work of God in your life. Mm-hmm. And I saw that as, a, as an opening from God to come clean. Mm-hmm. Had, he, had he just asked me, are you a Christian? I could have fudged the answer, but he got right to the heart of it. He said, do you love Christ? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, even though I wasn't uh, converted at the time, I saw that as such a God thing. And I said, no, Dad, I, I don't love Christ. Mm-hmm. And so his, his, his face drained, and he said, well, thank you for being honest. Uh, but what he didn't know was that now I felt I could seek God sincerely mm-hmm. and call on, on his name. And so about three months later, um, at a Christian conference in Wales, uh, I came to know the Lord. And I remember standing on the street corner, I could take you 
to it mm. now where all that I've been taught in Sunday school was sort of crystallized in one moment mm. where I <laughs> came to realize that when the New Testament says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord is not simply just a proposition, it's a promise. Mm-hmm. And, and so mm-hmm. I thought, okay, if, if God is who he claims to be, I will call on his name in the assurance that he will save me. Mm. And it really boils down to the words of a hymn to be able to say that Jesus is mine Amen. from him, uh, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And I was in a prayer meeting uh, praying this, and uh, I just sensed the depression list, and I knew that I'd come wow. to know the Lord, and mm. I praise God for that. That's awesome. But of course, it's not it's not simply about um, what God did in 1981. Mm-hmm. Uh, my testimony is that uh, God has never let me down or let me go. I've let him down many times, mm. grievously, but he's never let me down, and he's never let me go. And uh, my favorite uh, quotation probably is from John Newton, I'm not what I should be, nor what I could be. I'm not what I will be here after, but I'm not what I once was, and what mm. I am, I am by the grace of God. Mm. Wow. Amen. That's powerful. Yeah, that's that's good stuff, uh, wow. Doctor Trumpert. Um, that 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 goes back to uh, you talked about your father asking you that question, and it cut right to the heart. Do you mm-hmm. love Christ? Um, you know, not to go on a rabbit trail or anything, but I remember mm-hmm. reading John Piper's book Desiring God, which I highly recommend everybody go read, but there's a point where he makes out, he goes, I really have stopped asking the question, this is Dr. Piper, this is John Piper, this is what he says, he says, I really stopped asking people, do you believe in Christ, but more is do you see Christ as your treasure? Mm. And that really Mm. cuts to the heart Mm. of of the issue, and that's such a powerful question that I think really, like, even to our listeners, like, I, I, I dare to ask. Well, it's a privilege to speak about that, and uh, my testimony was published in a book in 2000 called God Found Me, Uh with a number of other testimonies, and so I'd say to any of your listeners, um, uh, if, uh, you know, we don't put our trust in other people's testimonies, but sometimes they're helpful, Right. and um, that's published by Christian Focus Publications. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, we'll we'll, do, we'll add a link to that in the menu. Um, so today's discussion is going to be on the doctrine of irresistible grace, and uh, mm-hmm. and so for and for you to open up, I would like you to define what is the doctrine of grace, and also I want to add a little other question there. Would you rename it something else to avoid, I guess, confusion? Yes. Well, the the well, some people call it an acrostic, some an acronym, but mm-hmm. uh, that doesn't go back to the sin of the daughter. I think the 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 uh, term tulip goes back to the early 20th century. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I can uh, sort of define the doctrine of irresistible grace, or we'll come on to other options, um, Mm -hmm. both both negatively and positively. Uh, Negatively, I'd say it's not a biblical term. That's one thing I'd say. A second thing is that um, it's not an accurate term. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like other points in the uh, tulip, acrostic or acronym, uh, it's a misnomer. I mean, grace is daily resisted uh, um, around the world and in every century. And I, I think of Scripture, and then I think of experience too. Scripture, Genesis 6, verse 3, my spirit shall not contend or strive with man forever, which certainly implies that uh, the grace of God has been resisted. Hmm. And then I think, I think of the ministry of Jesus in Luke thirteen thirty four, uh, where he weeps over Jerusalem. How often... Would I have gathered your children together as a hand gathers her brood under her wings? And you would not. It's interesting, he doesn't say you could not, but you would not. Mm. And then uh, uh, Luke 19, 42, would that you, even you had known in this your day the things that make you at peace. And so they had wonderful privileges of the covenant, but they, they uh, played fast and loose with the responsibilities of being God's ancient, ancient people. So. I would say those two things, uh, negatively speaking, and then of course there's, there's the positive. I'd say certainly the idea of irresistible grace is found in Scripture, but I think it's better renamed. Uh, I see Lorraine Bettner hmm. calls it efficacious grace, or R.C. Sproul, effectual grace. Mm-hmm. But the term I, I like, not that there's anything wrong with those two, is invincible grace. Mm-hmm. That those whom God intends to save, they may resist and do resist, Mm -hmm. but God's grace always wins out in the case of his elect Mm. at the end of the day, Mm. without compromising um, the the integrity of the human person which God has designed. And so the definition I would give of uh, invincible grace 
is the grace of God, which he sovereignly bestows on those the Father has chosen, those the Son has redeemed, to bring them, the elect, unto himself by the ministry of the Spirit. So, so in this, in this regard, if, if total depravity and unconditional election speak of the context of the gospel, definitive atonement, uh, or particular redemption, we'll abandon the term limited atonement, um, concerns the heart of the gospel. The invincible grace of God pertains to its application. And so the invincible grace of God speaks of the way God overcomes uh, the natural want of desire and ability to come to Christ, mm-hmm. yet in such a way that we come freely and we come voluntarily. We are not coerced. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not treated like autonom- automata or machines. Right. He maintains the integrity of the constitution of the elect as human beings he has made in his image. I like the way that uh, that you describe that. It's kind of an overcoming of our indifference towards God. Mm-hmm. Uh the uh, the invincible nature of his grace towards us plus we all we also uh continue to uh keep the eye in the uh in the, in the acrostic yeah, yeah. The acronym tulip yeah. as well so but, yeah i'm yeah. not sure what we, I, I i'm not sure what we're going to do with some of the others i mean you've probably gone into the difficulties with the idea of total depravity or right. limited atonement mm-hmm. right. if, uh, the atonement is limited by the number of people for whom christ dies mm-hmm. rather than the christ who did the dying yeah, yeah. So, w- would you be able to talk a little bit about uh, prevenient grace as well? Um, how how would you contrast that with uh, with invincible grace, as as you've described it? Well, um, prevenient grace, of course, is the grace that goes before the saving faith of a sinner who puts his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this prevenient grace, I believe, every system of theology affirms the necessity of, in some ways. Mm-hmm. But there's there's a difference of understanding. So I think uh, we need to um, prize open a little bit the differences between uh, prevenient grace in Calvinism and prevenient grace in in Arminianism. Sure. Um, to take those in turn, in, in Calvinism, I think prevenient grace is an umbrella term or an umbrella category under which reside the elements such as common grace or common providence and invincible or irresistible grace. So I I see prevenient grace then as the big picture of what God uh, does to bring his elect to himself. And irresistible or invincible grace speaks of the specifics Hmm. whereby the elect are brought to to saving faith. Hmm. Um, So it's, 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 it's God's work. Uh, I think in Arminianism, prevenient grace is understood to refutes irresistible or invincible grace. So, Mm -hmm. uh, prevenient grace releases a sinner from his bondage so that he or she can come to faith, but under his own steam or her own steam, Mm -hmm. if he or she wishes to. Mm -hmm. So, whereas in Calvinism, prevenient grace, which I'm including under uh, invincible grace or irresistible grace, guarantees that the elect will come to Christ Mm -hmm. freely and willingly by being drawn, called, regenerated. In Arminianism, prevenient grace only guarantees man's choice as to whether he will actually make that choice or not. Mm -hmm. So, although the sovereignty of God may kickstart the momentum, the autonomy is still with man, whether in fact he's going to uh, believe in Christ or not. Yeah, so we would have... I'm sorry, go yeah. ahead. Well, just to say, I think there are certain problems with the Arminian view. Sure. Um, uh, one I've implied already, uh, in the Calvinist view, God is sovereign throughout, yet without reducing man to a machine. Hmm. Um, Paul writes, for instance, in Philippians 1.6, he who has begun a good work in you will go on to complete it. And you can compare Hebrews 12, 2, and Romans 8, 30, you know, those whom God has predestined, he has called, will be glorified. But in the Arminian view, God is, as I say, sovereign in kick-starting the process, but leaves hmm. the decision to believe or not in the autonomy of man. And the second problem I see is that um, while the Arminian is right to say that God opens the heart, mm-hmm. as in the case of Lydia in Acts 16, 4, mm-hmm. yeah. it is... Uh, 
unthinkable that a person whose heart has been opened would not come to Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, and that seems to me to contradict the plain teaching of John 6, right. 37. All, all that the Father has given me will come to me. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of an understanding. It's the difference between right. a synergistic and a monergistic understanding of God's grace towards us. Whereas from an Arminian perspective, it would be God and man kind of working together. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, exactly. As opposed to the Calvinistic view where it is God's grace alone that uh, enlightens our, our our understanding, opens our eyes spiritually so right. that and gives us the grace yeah. to believe in Christ. Mm. Yeah, and I, maybe I can give an example of, of a different sort of subject. But sure. along the same lines to illustrate the difference between Calvinism and Arminianism, mm -hmm. um, and I and I give this example in, in love. Sure. But I, I think it's, I think it's important for the viewers to know that we are not knocking down a straw man, right? Mm -hmm. You know, in terms yeah. of what the Arminian believes. So, for instance, I was uh, as a senior minister, I was on a TV program for eight years um, called "Ask the Pastor," and I was one of the token reformed men on <laughs> there, and I loved going on the program. It's mm -hmm. uh, it was very stimulating, um, but I was so often the odd man out. Mm. And uh, it came to the question, different question, but a similar idea, uh, whether we can fall from grace. Mm. And uh, the brother next to me, who was a dear fr is a dear friend of mine, said, I know, and he knew I was going to answer the question, I know that there are people who say you can't fall from grace, and they're going to quote, you know, none can pluck you out of my hand. Mm -hmm. But he says, I do, I do truly believe that we have it in our power to climb out of the hand of Christ. I, I said, well, I said, I have a problem with that, as you might imagine. <laughs> I said, if you've got a new nature, you don't want to climb out the hand of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So even if you had the power to do it, you wouldn't do it. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Uh, it's, it's, again, that uh, synergism versus monogism. Sure. That's good. I like that illustration. I do like that illustration. Yeah, yeah. that's good. So, uh, uh, Doctor, as we, we move forward, uh, what is the scriptural basis for the doctrine of irresistible grace? Wow, that's uh, <laughs> Forgive me if I take a little bit of time. I'll try and be <laughs> sure, yeah, abso absolutely. Absolutely, take your time. Yeah. Well, oh, well I'm, a, I'm a big believer in uh, doctrine um, flowing out of the Old Testament into the New Testament and the importance of redemptive history. Mm -hmm. So I Amen. think we have to begin with the Old Testament and um, see irresistible grace or invincible grace integrally bound to the calling of Israel. Mm. And there's a Hebrew term in, in the Old Testament, kahal, which means assembly, from mm. which we get the Greek term ekklesia, the called out ones. Mm. And so in the Old Testament, you already get this idea of calling, but it's, it's, it's more of a corporate element connected to Israel. Mm. So, for instance, in Isaiah 43, verse 1, But now says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by my name. You are mine. So in, in the Old Testament, you get the, the corporate dimension of calling, the calling of Israel to be a son of God. But even there, you get uh, indications of uh, an individualistic application. And a powerful verse, it seems to me, is... Uh, Psalm 110, verse 3, your people um, shall be willing in the day of your power. Or as the ESV puts it, your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. So there's the calling of Israel, but even within the context of the corporate calling, there's a sense that when God exerts his power, God's people are willing to follow. Mm. And then... Then there's also the uh, perspective of looking forward to the Christ who's going to come, the one who is the the called one from from Egypt, Hosea 11.1. 1. And then, of course, you jump forward to the prophecies of, uh, at least uh, you come to the prophecies of Ezekiel 11, 19 to 20, about them being given a one heart, a new spirit, removing the heart of stone from the flesh and giving them a heart of flesh that they may walk in God's statutes and keep his rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God, which mm. is repeated again in Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. So the, the question then in the, in the old covenant is, 
how much of the ministry of the Spirit did they know? And I, I think it's it's not entirely clear. Uh, I, I think you can read it in both ways, either that um, they did not possess the Holy Spirit permanently in the Old Covenant, but they do under the New, or they did permanently under the Old Covenant, but under the New, hmm. we possess the Spirit now of the glorified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. So when you carry that testimony from the Old Testament into the New, uh, the the information that we have about the invincible or irresistible grace sort of blossoms out and becomes more overtly Trinitarian. The emphasis now is upon the individually being the individual being invincibly called, irresistibly uh, uh, gained by the grace of God. Um, but the corporate dimension is still there. So it's it's not a an absolute change from the old to the new covenant, but it's a change of degree. And I think there's a, there's a wonderful way in the New Testament in which uh, um, the, um, the theme before us is unpacked in a Trinitarian way. Hmm. So if I may say, first, first of all, you've got the, the testimony of the Son drawing us to himself. So, for instance, John 3, 14, 15, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And that is unpacked a bit in, in John 12, 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus says, in effect, that there's a power in his cross to draw all people to himself. And by that, I mean not all without exception, meaning every single person, but all without distinction from every right. people group, mm, tribe, sure. tribe. And then, then there's the Father calling. And while it's interesting that the Father is also said to draw, for instance, uh, John six forty four, no one can come to me unless the Father has sent me draws him. When we uh, trawl through the New Testament, we find that the Father is typically said to call rather than to draw sinners. And we find this in uh, multiple authors. So, for instance, in 1 Peter 2, 9, we're hmm. called out of darkness into his marvelous light in the same letter, chapter 1, verse 14, we're called to be holy. Uh, likewise, Paul begins his letter to Romans and Corinthians, called to be saints, or literally called to be holy ones. Hmm. Yeah, in his letter to the Thessalonians, he goes further, he tells them that God chose them for salvation, yeah. that they were called to the end, to that end, to the gospel, that they may obtain glory, the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. Um, I've mentioned Romans 8, 30. Um, and then you also have Paul's consciousness of his own calling in Galatians 1, 15 to 16. But again, uh, while the Father and the Son are distinct persons in the Godhead, we don't isolate the one from the other. And so just as the Father is said to draw, as also the Son, so uh, when the Father calls, he calls us into fellowship with Jesus Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 9, um, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hmm. And then, and then the, thir the third way in which I think the New Testament speaks about irresistible or invincible grace is the Spirit regenerating. Hmm. Uh, really the fulfillment yeah. of Ezekiel 11 and 36. Um, it's interesting that the, the term for regeneration, paragonasia, is only used twice in the New Testament. Titus 3, 4, and Matthew 19, 28. And they're used in two diverse ways. So Paul speaks about the washing of regeneration, and Jesus speaks about the new world or the regeneration. But it's Peter, it seems to me, who, who brings these two things together. And he says it's the, the great mercy of God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. So uh, the testimony of the New Testament then is that the spiritual life implanted by the Spirit in regeneration issues in the inheritance of the new world in, in time to come. Mm -hmm. uh, John, of course, then unpacks that uh, in his three passages, John 1, 12 and 13, John 3, 1 through 8, and 1 John 
229 through through um, chapter 3 and verse 2, and he, he, he creates this uh, distinct, mm-hmm. distinctively structured uh, model, as we would call it, of the, of the new birth. Um, uh, John 1, 12 and 13, regeneration is not our will, it's the will of God. Uh, John 3, 1 through 8, it's absolutely necessary. We cannot see or enter the kingdom without regeneration or the new birth. Yeah, It's sovereign or mysterious, the, mm-hmm. the spirit moving like the wind. He goes wherever he wants to go. And you don't see the spirit move, but you see the fruit of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the work of the spirit is comprehensive. He renews our entire nature. That's our understanding. He liberates our wills. He cleanses our souls. And then, then of course, he gives us a, a new status too. We're newborn members of the kingdom, uh, committed now to the practice of righteousness rather mm-hmm. than the, the practice of sin. So that's a brief overview then of um, some of the evidence that I would go to for for the the idea of uh, irresistible or invincible grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Doctor, for that, connecting the Old Testament with the New and, yeah, and, and the work of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. And that um, Last week we saw also uh, uh, Dr. Uh, White do mm-hmm. that when we were talking. It was just... R- r- we, I think we forget, you know, that the, some I did, you know, and it was just yeah. a reminder what the Trinity is involved in, mm-hmm. in, in, in our calling, in our, in our drawing. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and, and, and even on the topic of, of calling, we have uh, general and effectual calling, as, as we would call it mm-hmm. in, in theology in, in the Reformed camp. So can you please talk about the distinction between general and effectual calling? Yeah, so we're, we're considering then the... Um, the second main element of the New Testament witness to, right. to God's irresistible or invincible grace. Um, well, I think there are there are a number of points that can be made, and I'm not saying that um, I'm going to give you an exhaustive list here, but um, these seem to be prominent in the distinction. And the first is that um, whereas God's general call is addressed by the preacher or Christian to all without exception, uh, we are to sow the word with abandon. Right. Uh, the effectual call is addressed by God solely to the elect, wow. to the elect. Mm. Okay. So, so I think this distinction is supported by our Lord's words in Matthew twenty-two fourteen: "Many are called, but but few are chosen." Mm-hmm. And then the the second distinction yeah. I would say is that um, whereas the general call of God is ineffectual in the lives of the non-elect. Um, in the sense that they are not saved, although they may be hardened by it. The effectual call coming through the general call is always ultimately effective in the lives of the elect. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is to say that the general call of God is rendered effectual in the lives of the elect, even though the call of God to repent and believe may have been resisted for days, months, or even years. So it's, it's effectual or invincible in God's timing and and in his way. Mm-hmm. And then the, the third um, differentiation I think I'd make is that whereas the general call is ineffectual in the lives of non-elect, it leaves them as unbelievers, the effectual call of God actually affects the purpose for which it is given. Mm-hmm. And from, from the text I mentioned earlier, uh, at least three three purposes uh, fellowship with christ we are called in union with christ and um, we are called unto holiness and the calling that we have will will ultimately result in our glorification mm-hmm. no i think those are those are the three main things i can think of right something that's usually a straw man argument towards the doctrines of grace to Calvinism is, is uh, well, if there's election, well, why even preach the gospel? You know, And I think with these distinctions that you've made answers that question in that all of us who are saved are called, uh, God uses us as a means to proclaim the gospel and to reconcile the elect who are lost, who are currently lost. And so, yeah, the general the general call that we make is the proclamation of the gospel, and we should have confidence that through that, through the 
through that means that uh, the reconciling of the elect, that effectual call of God, will will be made. Well, well this is this is our confidence. Whether in preaching, uh, why yeah, somebody exactly. like Spurgeon would would climb the steps of the pulpit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Mm. It's wonderful to think that mm. you know we we expound the scriptures. And we pray for the spirit to move like the wind, yeah. and uh, we might be, you know, focusing on one person in one uh, part of the sanctuary or the gathering, and think, well, maybe the spirit is moving there. And I'm, I'm always right. amazed at how how often I get that wrong. Mm-hmm. And mm. and he's he works in somebody else's life, mm. but uh, Calvin Calvin, uh, I think, has taught us much in in many senses, but also in this sense, Mm -hmm. that we of all people ought to evangelize because we know God has a people out there. Yeah, yeah. And we we just sow the seed with abandon and watch him do the work. Yeah. Whereas the Arminian says, okay, it's in my powers of persuasion Mm. that this person may know provenient grace, but they may still not uh, choose to come to Christ. Mm. And therefore, I have to sell the gospel heavily. Yeah, sell the gospel. Yep. Amen. Yeah, and in light of that, uh, Doctor, how are effectual calling and regeneration connected together? Well, we're dealing then, I'm thinking of the the biblical evidence we gave with the second and third elements of of invincible or irresistible grace. Uh I think to do do justice to these uh, complementary aspects of the doctrine of salvation, we need to speak of uh, both their similarities and and dissimilarities mm. um, you know when I've when I've taught theology I sometimes get the students to chant um, that something can be distinct but inseparable distinct but inseparable and I think that's true also of effectual calling and, mm. and regeneration so amongst the similarities um, both elements speak of God's sovereign and gracious initiative in salvation. I'd say, uh, secondly, that both elements are mysterious, they're unseen to the eye. Mm. Uh, We only get to see the fruit of the call or the fruit of the regeneration. Uh, Thirdly, both elements address our fallen inability to procure personal salvation. So, for instance, the dead cannot speak nor move. Mm until they're called, they're made alive by God, uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, and the unconceived cannot choose to be born of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they are similar, and in fact so similar that the Westminster Confession of Faith deals with them in the same chapter, chapter 10 of effectual calling. Um, but I think Robert Raymond is onto something when he says that the call of God is made effectual in regeneration. Mm. Yeah. So, so you got these, you got these two distinct but inseparable things, and I think we also need then to go on to the, the you know, the dissimilarities. How how are they different? Well, one point that uh, John Murray has made um, very valuably, uh, valuably, is first that it's the Father who is the author of effectual calling, okay. whereas it's the Spirit who regenerates, mm. Mm. enabling the sinner to answer the call. Uh, then secondly, the Father calls by the Word, but the Spirit regenerates without the Word. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith does give two, two exceptions to that. Uh, this is uh, chapter 10 and paragraph 3 of the Confession. Uh, elect infants dying in infancy, mm. and those who are mentally incapable of receiving the Word. And so what the Westminster Confession is trying to protect is the sovereignty of God in those instances, and uh, some mm. of the biblical support for that would be um, John the Baptist being filled with his spirit, filled with the spirit from his mother's womb, Luke mm. 1, 15. Mm, yeah. And then, uh, and then uh, thirdly, I'd say that the Father calls from heaven. Um, the spirit works in the heart here upon earth. So the bookends of this process. And then, uh, fourthly, effectual calling emphasizes our standing. We're called into union with Christ. Um, regeneration emphasizes more the creation of a new nature. But again, the difference is not uh, 
absolute but of degree mm-hmm. I think those those are some of the similarities and dissimilarities that mm-hmm. come to mind yeah thank thank you for ex- just unpacking that for us really yeah that really works well with the Dr. James White podcast mm-hmm. yeah. you know, making the, the trinity how it's all work how they're all interplaying in the role of salvation well I think this is why these doctrines have always touched my heart I, I, I grew up you know as I said with a Presbyterian minister but uh, I grew up with a father who was very much a Bible Calvinist who taught the scriptures hmm. and so when uh, during my university days I was taught the system I think that was what resonated was the beautiful harmony between the work of the Father, the work of the Son, and the work of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. And, and uh, it's, it's thrilling, really. Yeah, yeah. It is. amazing. And there's so many other things we could talk to with regards to that, the relationship between the Trinity and yeah, we and, should do another podcast on that. Yeah, I think, absolutely. I think that's one thing that, that definitely is lacking with Christians today is they don't really understand what the Trinity is. They mm-hmm. don't really you know three and one it's it's confusing how yeah. is that even possible how do they even work and so i think that's probably a future podcast series we could we absolutely. could do yeah. that'd be great yeah absolutely yeah as, as augustine said if you can understand it it's not god mm. yeah that's true <laughs> that's, that's great um one other question we had with regards to just books that you've appreciated in uh in coming to a greater appreciation of the doctrines of grace you know from a especially for for lay readers what would you recommend what mm-hmm. are some books that uh, obviously besides Calvin what would you recommend people pick up well I'm sure that um, uh, the books that have influenced me have influenced influence many others uh, but what I would say especially to young listeners that it's never too too soon to start reading uh, Christian mm. books uh, yeah, the Holy yeah. Spirit is not only operative in me as an individual he's operative in the church and uh, we have some a wonderful treasury of christian literature to, to go to yes. mm-hmm. as Asbury's christians for sure and to search the scriptures whether these things are so but uh, uh i remember um in wales when my father was a pastor he always had a sense i would be a minister too and so he used to take me on some of his house calls he never press ganged me into the ministry but he he uh only once did he ever explicitly mention his belief that God would have me in the ministry, but he used to take me on some of his calls. And I remember one Sunday night he went to uh, to a lady who was dying, and uh, I always remember him holding her hand as she lay dying. Mm. And the lady was saying to him that uh, he could have some of the books mm. that, that she had. And the interesting thing that I later learned was that this lady and her husband were actually really struggling with the Calvinistic view of doctrine that my father was teaching. Hmm. And yet they had they had on their shelves uh, Lorraine Bettner's book, The Reformed Doctrine of Predestination. Hmm. <laughs> and so, so as, as, a, as a young adult, I was studying politics, but as my finals were coming up, I found myself more and more engaged with theology. Hmm. And I set myself to read Lorraine Bettner's The Reformed Doctrine of Predestination. That hmm. was a life-changing book for me and I still go back to it and then uh, also as a student reading uh, A.W. Pink's The Sovereignty of God mm. I could th- I could take you to the beach I was walking along as I was reading it um, very accessible uh, Jack Seaton's little booklet The Five Points of Calvinism mm. published by the Banner of Truth yeah, yeah um, that's right. later, later I guess uh, R.C. Sproul's Chosen by God yeah, 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 yeah. Great. absolutely. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and uh, John Murray's Redemption Accomplished and Implied, which mm-hmm. is probably not for everybody initially, but it's well worth the investment of time. Yeah, yeah, we've actually got the uh, well, the Chosen by God, and then and the uh, Lorraine Bettner book on the shelf yeah, right now. So yeah, those are both great reads. Well, yeah, they are and well worth the time. And I, I really appreciate your emphasis on just reading as well. We have your article yeah. actually on our website uh, with regards uh, mm-hmm. to to, uh, to young Christians and really encouraging them to to start reading books and how to go about doing that. And it's so important. I know that from me personally, I didn't really read a whole lot until I got uh, into my later years and, and really mm-hmm. became serious about growing as a Christian. And now I, I absolutely love it. And uh 
And it's so yeah. important. The Lord has really used many wise authors from past eras to uh, to really yeah. help me grow in my faith. Right. Yeah. And you mentioned too, Doctor Trumper, that you know we have a treasure, an absolute treasure of people who have come, you know, who were before us, who have written so much good, rich theology. And uh, prior to coming to Bridge, I know I was always consistently struggling with questions, and I wasn't a big reader um, at all. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't become a reader um, until coming here to Bridge, and I. Mm-hmm. Walked up to the counter and I told Steve, "Hey, do y'all have do y'all carry the the Institutes of the Christian Religion by John Calvin?" Mm-hmm. And that that's when me and him became friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I remember <laughs> opening and reading the the first chapter, the first couple of pages of it, and I was just my paradigm was being rocked. I was you know just everything was shifting in my mind mm-hmm. on on my view of theology was changing. I was reading stuff by R.C. Sproul and John MacArthur and. And uh, no, I just, I think, uh, especially I, I, I just turned 25, and I think among my people of my age group, there's a heavy influence of emotional driven theology. Mm. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if you're going to follow your heart or follow your emotions in which you feel, that's a very dangerous thing to do. Um, and yeah, sure. our, 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 our theology should be found most importantly on the Word of God. And I think, you know, the, the, the authors that we have mentioned here do a very great job of exegeting Scripture mm-hmm. and pulling out truth that is just simply found on the Bible. And that is just mm-hmm. something that is cannot be shaken, that will never be changed, and mm-hmm. is foundational to our Christian mm-hmm. faith. And uh, no, I just highly recommend for our listeners to just begin to read, pick up some of these books that, uh, that, that, that we've mentioned yeah. here. And the important thing to understand is that these these uh, men and women that uh, we revere so highly, they were standing on the shoulders of those who've gone before them mm-hmm. too. And, yeah. uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, it's amazing the, the continuity of the Spirit's work. But if I may say, uh, I've just come back last week from teaching a, a course of theology to Turkish pastors mm-hmm. in Turkey. Mm-hmm. Wow. And um, the, hmm. lead, the leader of the, of the course, uh, my friend, uh, uh, he gives us uh, different... Uh, you know, social times during the week. It's a course of, okay. like last week was a uh, week before was systematic theology for twenty hours. Mm. Uh, but one, <laughs> one morning we went. One morning we went to his home, and the purpose of going to his home was to encourage these Turkish ministers to build their own library and to be reading. Mm. And as mm. one of the one of the one of the students said to me, he has probably uh, the biggest or second biggest personal theological library in Turkey, where there's only five to 7,000 believers, hmm. evangelical believers, wow. and, um, and a population of 80 million. Wow. And how kinda... much we take for granted what Absolutely. we have in English. Yes, yeah. yeah, that's very true. That is that is powerful right there. Steve, do you think we should put a bridge in Turkey? <laughs> yeah. I'm serving some Turkish coffee and I'm down. Hey, <laughs> I love Turkish coffee. Let's, let's do, do it. it. <laughs> All right, Dr. Trumper, I know we're, we're running a little tight on time here, but uh, as always have, uh, that we've been doing in this series, and I think it'd be a good uh, example of the general and effectual call, mm. and it's to, would you please proclaim the gospel to our listeners? Oh, gladly so. Um, well, uh, you could begin doing that in so many ways, but I think I'm going to begin with the knowledge of God and say hmm. uh, the Bible presupposes constantly that we know that God exists. It's Amen. the fool who says, not in, not in his head, but in his heart, there is no God. And not only do we know that God exists, but his law is written on our conscience, and so we know right from wrong. Hmm. And we know then that we have fallen short of uh, the glory of God. And while there may be many things this afternoon, dear reader, that, or dear listener, that uh, you have not understood, um, you, you do understand that you are a sinner. You may not be convicted of the fact, mm. but the thing that you really need to understand is that you are commanded by the maker of heaven and earth to turn to God in repentance, mm. and you are commanded and also invited to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. We repent because God is our maker and because all our sin is ultimately an affront to him. Mm-hmm. And we trust in Christ because he is uh, God and alone has the power to save your soul. No one else can do that. Mm-hmm. And because as man, he alone could suffer the wages of your sin upon the cross, even unto death. So mm-hmm. uh, I would say this, turn to God for this amazing grace. Uh, get alone with him, ask him to show 
you himself, mm. yourself, the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. Then with empty hands, take mm. this free gift of salvation. And I just also add that if you are thinking, you don't know if you're one of the elect, mm. one for whom Christ died, one who's been drawn by the love of Christ, called by the love of the Father, or regenerated by the love of the Spirit. The only way you will know mm. is by following the command of God to repent and to believe the gospel. Mm. Mm. So Amen. if I may, I'd, I'd like, to, uh, like to pray with you. Amen. Yes. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are all glorious. We praise you for your electing grace. We praise you for the fact that you have found us where we are and given your people a place in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he has suffered on our behalf all that was due to your people. Thank you for the powerful ministry of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Thank you, O oh God, that you keep all those whom you save mm. ready to be revealed at the last day. And so we lift up to you this afternoon mm -hmm. any who do not know you. Mm. Father, we pray that they would not use theology to the detriment of their own souls, mm. but would heed your call to turn to you in repentance mm. and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for a full and a free salvation, mm. free to them, but which cost the Lord Jesus his life. Yes. And Amen. we'll give you all the glory and praise as Amen. you bring every last one of your innumerable people unto yourself. And thank you even now mm. for the sight we'll have in eternity Amen. of those from every tongue, tribe, and nation mm. coming to bow willingly before the feet of the Lord Jesus. Amen. In his name and his glory, pray mm. these things. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Dr. Trumper, for coming Ooh. on. That was a great uh, proclamation of the gospel there. Yes. Beautiful, beautiful. Dr. Trumper, where can uh, our listeners find you? Um, oh, um, www.fromhisfullness.com. Awesome. All right. We'll go ahead and visit there. Uh, Dr. Trumper, we have some articles of him up on the Bridge uh, website as well. Um, some very good stuff. Go check that out. Mm -hmm. But uh, And we'll be having more coming up, uh, hopefully pretty soon, right, Dr. Trumper? Yeah, I hope so. Yes. Good deal. Yeah. Wait. Thank you so much. No, no it's, thank it's, you so much. It's been no. a privilege having you on on today, and uh, we look forward to having you back again sometime. Oh yeah, yeah. maybe maybe we could do that that Trinity series. Yeah, we could, we could talk about that. That'd be good. That'd be <laughs> that, great. I think that'd be good. Yeah, for sure. It would be good. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thank you again for listening. Uh, please like, subscribe, share, and uh, next week we have another good one. We're gonna end off the series. Uh, with Perseverance of the Saints mm. with Joel Beakey. He's going to be coming on. And uh, please be ready for that one and uh, share this whole series. Um, um, again, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you. Bye-bye. Later. Later.